0: Well, everybody, welcome to episode seven of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Beau Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Greetings. Today, we are going to do yet another jiu-jitsu podcast. We made us retitle the podcast and only do jiu-jitsu podcasts from now on. (laughs) After that debate, I don't know if I want to... Talk anymore about politics or apolitical things. I just want to talk about jujitsu.
1: Yeah, it's that's uh, another way that it's therapeutic. It's right. not have to talk about politics.
0: No, I totally agree. Um, well, to start, I defer to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me with what's on your mind about uh, about jujitsu.
1: Uh, okay, actually, well, you kind of hit me by surprise. I'm going to go... No worries. And- I know that
0: uh after our last podcast, we had um spent quite a bit of time talking, but hadn't gotten to some of the stuff I know that you had on uh, on your list to discuss, so I figured we could start with that and then um see where the com- conversation takes us. Well, see, now
1: I'm looking at this list and really it's just a bullet point of some things I wanted to touch on, and I forget exactly what we touched on last time, so... Uh, apologies to the listeners for being unorganized. Not really. really. <laughs> Most of what we talked
0: about last time is kind of the, the overall meaning importance of jujitsu itself, like what it means to us. Um, you know, the benefits, the kind of our jujitsu stories in particular, um, that reminds me. Um, so I had actually made an error in the last podcast and I had mentioned that, uh, um, any Lobo was, uh, was a Hickson black belt who was referred to as Hickson's assassin. And that actually was not true. It's actually, um, Luis Hereda. He's, uh, the founder of Maui BJJ. And he was the one who uh, was, uh, known as a uh, quote unquote, an assassin for Hickson hitman. He was, hit- was hitman. That's hit right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so I looked more into it cause I knew that was wrong, but I couldn't remember his name. I've actually met Luis. Um, I've trained at his gym in, in Maui and, uh, or in, um, in Paella and, uh, One of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, Atypical, I suppose, like small guy who's just absurdly deadly on the mat. You know, he's our instructor, Brian's size. He's like 5'7", 135, 140 pounds, like wet and like super gentle when you roll with him. And then if he wants to put a choke on you, he does. And it's like... You, you just die. <laughs> and um, But he used to uh, – he was one of Hickson's instructors, and he actually followed him and helped him open up multiple gyms and uh, get them started, and he used to be the one who – because they got a lot of challenges back in the 80s, and they couldn't – the Gracies themselves couldn't do all of the challenges. Right. And oftentimes what they would do is they'd have the instructors at the gyms that they opened up be responsible for those, and so anyone was open to a challenge, right? And he was basically the one of the ones who – if Hickson was in town, he would choke whatever martial artist showed up talking crap. And he was kind of the one responsible for enforcing that. And then also just enforcing order on the mats. Cause you'd get guys who'd come in who wouldn't challenge, but would then also be jerks, you know, kind of like we still do get to this day and he'd be the one to kind of put them in their place. And, yeah. um, it's like a multiple time Brazilian national champion. The guy's legit. And, uh, but again, one of the nicest people, just really good teacher. I was actually really impressed with his ability to, to, to teach. but um,
1: That seems like a common thread, anybody that gets uh, down the line in jiu-jitsu, so to speak, especially the quote-unquote old school guys, mm-hmm. with, you know, multiple stripes on their black belt. Um, in order to get that far, you, you typically need to be a, a pretty nice person. It's and, just, you know, you get your ego squeezed out of you enough times and yeah. you become a better human being. And a lot of
0: those older school guys, Elio was so big with being able to teach it and so when he passed the black belts, you know, down to his to his sons, and then to the the other guys, he gave black belts to. And then as they have conferred black belts, they've tried, um, and they I think they've done a very good job with the older school black belts in particular of making sure that they get they they can teach well, because there is a really big difference between being good on the mat and being able to teach stuff on the mat. Hundred percent. John Danner actually talks about that. And he actually specifically mentions that it's they're two completely different skill sets Yep. and you just need to look at John Danaher to understand the difference. I mean, John danahers he's even mentioned, he says he's never competed jujitsu in his life, but I defy you to find me an actual better coach.
1: Yeah.
0: There, I, I don't think that there actually is one. And so how is that? So maybe, maybe, <laughs> which right? is
1: obviously was uh, Danaher's instructor. Or part sure. Of that,
0: yeah. And, um, but he's so good and yet has no competition experience and it's, they are different, and you can be good at both. And he actually requires that his upper belts teach. John Danaher does. It's that's, that's a fundamental requirement of them to earn their belts and to grow, is that they have to be able to teach their techniques. And then it, as someone who does teach kids in particular, I find that as I teach the kids, I start to understand the, the, the minutia of movements and concepts a lot better because I have to, I have to articulate them to young children have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, I think it's actually harder personally than teaching to the adults, even if adults don't know, don't have any experience because they at least understand their bodies to some degree. Right. Kids don't really know their bodies all that well. And so you really have to know how to explain small movements and why you're doing things to them and uh and keep their attention because they're kids and they have no attention spans <laughs> yeah
1: there's a old saying uh if you want to truly learn something teach it right exactly exactly yeah. and,
0: and it's hard right um most likely i'll be a way better teacher than i will be actually doing jiu-jitsu <laughs> that'll, that'll be my luck but um i'm actually fine with that i would i would much prefer to be a better uh, coach than a player so i've i'm moderately athletic but i don't have championship aspirations of winning titles and things i'd I would much prefer just to be able to teach this stuff and help young kids and adults become better humans.
1: That's huge. I mean, that's—I I would say, in general, at least for me, uh, that is way more valuable than you know, collecting a bunch of trophies. But yeah. actually, uh, sharing the art with a bunch of people and potentially changing their lives for the better and all that—that's that's a big deal. Yeah, being being a good teacher—that's uh, a very valuable thing.
0: Yeah, I find more benefit in it. Personally, it's uh, one of the things that, um, that drives me as an individual is uh, how can I share something that I love with people in, a, in such a way that not only do they also develop a passion for it, but that they can utilize on their own to become better people. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to preach and I don't want to force people to become better people None of those things are effective, right? I, um, I'm not a totalitarian, and I'm not, a, I'm not an actual pre- preacher like of a religious doctrine, right? I, I happen to like this stuff. I very much enjoy it. It, 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 it synchronizes well with my personality and what the things that I believe. And if I can show that to people, and then they can also take it and say, you know what, I think I love this too. Here, maybe for different reasons, it doesn't matter. And then that helps them develop into better especially with the kids that helps them develop into better people as they get older. That's what I want. And in particular for me, it's for young boys. Yeah. Um, that, that, that in particular is of importance to me. Not that I don't want young girls to grow up to be better women too, but, um, I think that we have a crisis of masculinity in our culture.
1: Uh yes, I agree. Uh,
0: And so that does actually scare me more. So as, as a young, as someone who was a young boy at one point, you know, I understand that more obviously than I do understand being a girl and going through all the changes and, and all the social stuff that young girls go through. Like I don't have much experience dealing with that because I'm not a young, I was never a young girl. Um, and so it, well, there was that one weekend, but (laughs) (laughs) that's, but you know, I, I, in particular with young men, I, I want to find a way to help them understand that not only is it okay to be a boy, is it okay to be a man, to grow into a man, to, to be masculine, to have masculine traits, to be competitive, to assert yourself, to uh, um, all of that, but that there's a right and a wrong way to do that like with anything. You know, you can also show your feelings and you can also have emotion and um, admit defeat and, uh, um, you know, quote, unquote, be the weaker individual in an exchange, whatever that looks like, you know, all those kinds of things um, that in, in some, depending on, you know, who you're with or what part of society you're in can be bad or good. And it's like, like with anything, there's, there's bad and goods to a lot and, Demonizing men entirely, or as a you know sub, a group of people simply because parts of you know masculinity, quote unquote, is toxic, is just going to ruin a bunch of young boys. What well, is? I think it's happening now. It one hundred percent is, and you know, especially when we don't demonize toxic femininity, which is equally as you know malignant and um, pathological and can cause yeah. an equal an equal amount of problems and no, but no one ever talks about it, you know, and maybe we should maybe we don't need to, I don't know. But, um, I don't think the question should be max max masculinity is toxic. So therefore we should not have young men or young boys, you know, behave like men. It should be, why don't we just show them the right ways? Exactly. Like, why don't we sh- show them how to balance that? Like aggression's not bad when I mean, you need aggression. Like, you need aggression, but you also need to learn how to restrain it. I don't yeah, think you'll no, ever... it's, it's
1: a useful thing. It's it's there for a reason. We evolved to have that uh, no. for you know, for a
0: reason. Competitiveness too, also yeah. not bad.
1: It it concerns me that the discussion even needs to take place because yes. you know when I was growing up, that's just how to be a real man. Yeah. And and you know, like I said, when I was growing up, you know, being a real man was not being the biggest, toughest jerk. No, it's, it's being tough. It's being tenacious, but it's also being caring and taking care of people and, and things like that. That's, that's what I equate to being a real man. Uh, and, and now the label of toxic masculinity is putting all that at risk.
0: Yeah. And, or it, it's, and I would say it goes further than the label of toxic masculinity. It's it's the demonization of men broadly. Yeah. Irregardless of the toxicity of masculine, let's say masculine sex traits or social traits, right? It's just the demon, it's progressed into the demonizing of men. And one of the things that I actually really like about jujitsu, I guess to pull this back into jujitsu is that all of the, Pathological um, ends of the traits that men and women experience, you know, whether it's compassion or agreeableness, disagreeableness, aggression, anger, all of those th- kinds of things they get they get kind of stamped out with jujitsu. Like you don't make it very far if you're just an asshole who's consistently aggressive and rude all the time. Like we were saying in the last jujitsu podcast, jujitsu filters out douchebags. Right, but at the same end of it, you don't get very far if you're too timid, because you just get smashed. And so you have to learn a little bit of bite, because you need a little bit of teeth to act in the world. Sure. And so you know, like we actually have a couple, couple of kids, couple of one boy in particular that I'm thinking of, but he has a really hard time engaging physically. He'll try and do all the moves as far away from his buddy as he can. So even if he needs to actually basically be hugging the individual, he won't do it he'll be on his hand instead of having his body on their chest. if like he's trying to get to, um, side control or something. Right. Um, and at some point jujitsu is just going to stop working because he's not doing jujitsu. And so he's either going to need to, what my hope is my, what I'm trying to do is help him understand that you can be physical without hurting someone without being overly rude or, and it could just be like a tactile issue too. You never know. could be but a lot of things. It could mean, be a yeah, lot of things, but jujitsu is really good at, as our most physical sports at understanding those and discovering and learning the rules of those physical boundaries. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, you learn social rules too, because it, once you learn what it feels like to have someone invade your personal space, you then learn what it feels like to be socially proper, like so, to be socialized. Because if like, I invade your space and I touch you in a way you don't like, that sucks. And so you're not going to want to invade someone's personal space. And so as you start to interact socially with other people, you're going to emulate that socially when you talk. And so you won't cut someone off, or you're less likely to call them a mean name. right? It, it adapts and moves into the social realm. And kids do that on their own just when they naturally interact with each other, but it's very raw because they're kids and they, they're trying to figure it out all together. Um, and I, I find sports like jujitsu a good way to to learn that sort of thing physically because you have to learn really quickly like what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with and what's okay. There's a lot of rules to it. You got to figure them out. There's things you can't do or you get in trouble or you get hurt. Like, there's real consequences. And you also learn how to put up with a lot of things that, Yesterday would have made you really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot there's some virtue in that. There's a, the patience you learn and the tolerance you learn is super important. You know, um, to make this slightly political for a second, I, I have often found that um, lefties in particular, like more liberal, more liberal than say center center left liberals, tend to be actually quite intolerant.
1: Oh, big time <laughs> right now! It, yes, it, it's an irony <laughs> yes. that,
0: I, that 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 I, I can't I haven't really been able to figure out. But they're they're very they're they're tolerant of all different walks of life. Let's say
1: as long as they, as they believe the same as them. And that's that's <laughs> the thing that they're not
0: really tolerant of ideas. And then to secondarily maybe religions because religion is going to be I think is going to be the thing that's going to start to become more of a problem. Because so? um, without going off into too much of a tangent. Um, too late. Yeah, so equity, as we talked about uh, during the debate a little bit, we've talked about before, um, if you have an equity of people and you want everyone to be in safe spaces, let's say, and have an equal um, outcome of things, that isn't really going to – that's going to fly in the face of certain religious faiths. Oh, right. Yep, like, yep, a yep, simple yep. example is going to be like – and uh, to be clear, like I have zero problem with um, – anyone who's not heterosexual getting married. I don't care who people marry or who they date or if they have sex with, I give a fuck less. But there are some religions for a very long time who have a big problem with that. So if you have religious freedom and, you know, sexual freedom, those are those directly butt heads. Yep. Period. Compatible. And it's like you're not going to get equity with that unless you get rid of one or the other. Technically speaking, you have to basically you'd have to get rid of religion because otherwise you have to ban gayness. <laughs> right? So it's a little bit, I think, they a pro- tried. yeah, they try We tried that for a very long time. And that, actually that's a problem. And so the logical solution is to ban certain religions. You probably would honestly have more success in a society doing that than you would trying to ban the gays.
1: Well, no, you can't. I mean, it, you try and do that. It's like trying to
0: ban alcohol. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, but there's that intolerance that you see. Yeah. The, the, there is an intolerance of incompatible ideas and that's bad. Because people should have incompatible ideas. They should have ideas that don't agree with each other. That's part of having a free society. And then you talk about it.
1: There's a high likelihood that's actually going to play out in the near future in the Supreme Court. But anyway, back to jujitsu. jiu jitsu (laughs) -jitsu stamp. My point is that
0: jujitsu stamps that sort of thing out. Like You learn how to be very tolerant because of the uncomfortability you're always put in. And so even if it's a physical tolerance, like you, you, you learn how to handle a little bit of physical, more physical pain or just being smushed when no one likes to get smashed into the ground, like you get a little claustrophobic, that tolerance will filter into your tolerance for ideas. It's a natural manifestation of being tolerant in uncomfortable physical situations. So you're more likely to be tolerant in verbal situations, with, which often, let's say you and I are talking and you disagree with me, that manifests itself physically. I get uncomfortable. I get a little hot under the collar. I start to sweat. I stammer. I get embarrassed. I may actually have anxiety, which has physical ramifications. Like they're very, very intricately linked. And since you brought
1: that up, man, there's something I wanted to talk to you about. And I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And it's you know really most anything that's physically difficult um, will teach you a lot of those lessons. I think jujitsu is one of the best vehicles for that, but. It's a natural part of discovering who you are as a human being. How far you can go to test yourself, to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, these are all broad life lessons yep. that you know. If you take jujitsu, then and if you stick with it, then you'll definitely learn those.
0: Um, Dan Crenshaw I just finished his book Fortitude. Mm. It's good? good. It's good. Yeah, it's very okay. good. Um, he talks about um, voluntary suffering like subjecting yourself to voluntary suffering. Yeah. I like that. Um, Excuse me. And I actually think jujitsu is like that. hundred percent. For me in particular, like, like, well, think about it this way. What do um, I've heard numerous instructors, black belts, old school, new school, whatever, who've said this, um, help Brian, our own instructors even said this to me in particular. He's like, um, you should spend, like, all. base. I'll generalize here. Blue belts should spend their entire time on their backs, learning how to defend from every attack from the back. Like that's a, a general statement, but I, I've heard that multiple times. Where like, you should just spend a year in side control. That's all, you don't attack anybody to spend a year on side control. That's a form of voluntary suffering, because side control sucks. And if someone's two hundred and forty pounds and you're on the bottom of them every day for a year that really sucks but what happens at the end of it is that no one fucks with you when you're in the bottom of side control because you're really good at getting out of side control right and i mean who, who wants to voluntarily put themselves in the bottom of a mount in particular in the gi like that sounds horrible but the only way you get good at escaping the mount not getting choked in the mount, and not getting crushed in the mount is by putting yourself in the bottom of mount
1: and the thing is, is you know, while you're doing something like that, that's not what you're thinking about. No. At least not the majority of the times. like, oh, this sucks, but whatever. need to work through it. I need to get better. This is why I want to get better because this sucks. So you keep yeah. working on
0: it. Um, like we were talking about last, like I think I mentioned this in our last jujitsu podcast. It's like with you in particular, because you have a good mount. Like when I'm in the bottom, I'm thinking of doing like one thing. I don't care if I get tapped. It's going to suck no matter what because your mount's good. I'm not going to like it but I'm going to get there and I might even start there and I just want to get one thing, right? That's it. And then I'll keep doing that until I can get it right. And then I'll do a second thing. And it doesn't matter if that one thing is just getting a proper frame, right? Cause there's a big difference between your ability to hip into my diaphragm versus my actual like hip line. Sure. In terms of the the pressure (laughs) that I that 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 I feel, right. And so if I let you get up to near my diaphragm or my belly button or my stomach, that's way worse for me than if I can keep you down at about hip level.
1: Yep.
0: Right. And um, or from getting any higher, because once you get up, once my you know elbows get above my armpits, then then I'm screwed. Right. And so I don't really. You're right. I don't think about it as suffering. I think about it as I'm gonna die a lot of times. (laughs) but jujitsu is one of is like one of the, the few things you can, you can do It's like a video game and then you just get repeatable deaths. You can just repeat it over and over again. So I might as well try and just slowly increase through the level as it were. Um, and just keep going, right?
1: That makes me think of something that uh, Matt Thornton said, Matt Thornton being the founder of uh, SBG Straight Blast Gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, out of that organization, you probably recognize the name Connor McGregor, yep. but uh, there's a bunch of just fantastic teachers. They're all old school, pre-in, super, super good.
0: Priya Mickelson's the other one that I remember.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Matt was pointing out that uh, failure is, not only to be expected, but it's necessary to learn. Um, so if you're, if you're work if you're drilling a technique, you need to be drilling it to the point where you fail at it or you're the the person that you're trying to keep from passing your guard does pass your guard or or whatever it is you're working on. Um, because if you don't do that, then you'll never know where the edge is. Mm -hmm. So you have to find out how far is too far, how far is not far enough, and then you can hone it down to what actually works. But if you're, if you never put yourself in a position where you actually fail, you do your, you do your very, very best to execute a technique and it doesn't work. Uh, that will most likely teach you more than having a successful technique. So, yeah. That's,
0: it's part of the deal, man. I love it. My girlfriend thinks I'm crazy when I talk about stuff like this, because all all I ever want to do is just fail at life. Like, that's like, (laughs) that's like my goal. Like, you know, generally speaking, it's like what I attempt to do and all the things I do is like, I I know, I know and expect failure to come. And so I, technically speaking, I just want to go and do things until I fail at them. And then because I know I'm going to get better. Right. Like, I don't look at it as like, oh, I'm a, I am am a failure and I'm a bad person or not good or don't not deserve it of whatever things that I've gotten in my life. It's like, well, no, no, no. I'm just going to do this a bunch of times and I'm going to fail more times and I'm going to succeed. And then one day I'm going to look down and be like, ah, I was so bad at this. <laughs> but now I fuck everybody up, you know, or now I'm yeah. really good or you know, like, we're going to look back in a couple of years and be like, remember when we had no listeners? Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and failure is feedback. That's yeah. It. And that's going to be that we're going to do that sitting in our own vaults on top of all the gold coins we've collected, like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> and, uh, it's going to be amazing. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me some of the things that, uh, you had on your list
1: uh well these are just uh, general notes to myself to see if we could touch on i'll just i'll read them off here and we'll see if it sparks conversation um there was uh, self-defense so kind of the the difference between sport jiu-jitsu and jiu for self-defense um the importance of pressure testing technique which is what makes jiu-jitsu so valuable um, yes the uh, confidence that you can get from training jujitsu, the sense of community is fantastic. Um, It's also a very good vehicle to learn delayed gratification.
0: Yes. Because
1: there is no, you know, there's no instant win or anything like that in jujitsu. Every skill that you have, you earned and uh, it's yours. So if you're willing to Work hard without seeing results for a little while, and then one day those results will manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get in the headspace to delay that gratification, not only is it amazing for your jujitsu, but the rest of your life in general. Um, particularly nowadays, because instant gratification is—it's the norm, really. And and really, instant gratification is just, uh, in my mind, um, good marketing. You know, if, if, oh, yeah. you're, if you're a person that has a product or a service, and if you can make it more convenient for your customers, then you're going to get more business. That's just real simple. But, you know, fast forward a few hundred years uh, or 150 years, whatever it's been since the industrial revolution to try and make everything as easy as possible. And don't get me wrong, I love conveniences. But we could also lose sight of the importance of delayed gratification. There's sometimes that you just got to work really, really hard and not reap the benefits of that for a while. Um, but at the end of it, you're almost guaranteed to have far better results than anything that you can get instantly.
0: Yeah. So my, uh, one of my cousins, uh, she's got two daughters and they're like seven and 11 or nine and 11, something like that. And this, the youngest one, uh, this, the seven or nine year old, um, we were had to get together this last year for Christmas. And it was up in my grandmother's house that did not have internet and it's in the woods. I love it for so many reasons but partly because there's no internet and it's in the woods or at least the internet's really slow if she does have it and she had a little like a iPad to do like games and stuff on it which was appalling to me because it was a 7-year-old with an iPad but I think that's common now <laughs> um, yeah. and she like threw a tantrum because like she couldn't get her iPad to work and I think it was because the internet wasn't Work, working but or wasn't there but I, it could have also I think it might have been too just because the iPad was dying or like needed to be updated or the, just, the programs weren't working and there was like no troubleshoot there was no I'm gonna go do something else there's no that's okay I'm gonna go talk to my family it was just like immediate tantrum screaming and crying she threw the thing down kicked her feet had a fit in the middle of Christmas like in it, remi- it reminds me of that instant gratification. It's like you don't get what you want; it's a big problem. Yeah. And like that's that's the kind of stuff that I see with kids. Is they get so kids in particular. You actually see this. This is one of the biggest criticisms of millennials. Actually, of, of my generation, is you know they're they're babies. Where they cry over everything, right? We're the we're the snowflake generation, <laughs> right? And there's many reasons for that. Uh, that epithet. But one of them is that notion of instant gratification. Like if we don't get the things that we want now, it's like somehow an injustice to our being. And thankfully I was not raised that way. Um, I'm very, very happy for that. I don't know. I would probably be just a horrible person if I was, because I would always complain about all of the injustices in the world because I didn't get them. I, I, things weren't fixed immediately. Um, you know, and, uh, there's a very real problem in that, and I, I see a corollary between that and things like cancel culture, let's say, as an example. Um, things like just the, the political correctness debates that we have going on where everything is a problem. It, the, they seem related to me because it's a matter of, I want something now and it's not happening. This is a problem, it needs to be fixed. And that's kind of the same argument. In one end, you actually have legitimate problems, and so people should be complaining about them, um, whereas not getting Amazon orders fast enough isn't really a problem I think people should complain <laughs> about as an example. But um, it, it it's a symptom of something that's larger and more dangerous, and we're seeing that play out in culture. Um, yeah, that delay of gratification, big, really big.
1: Yeah, it's I – mean, I- I think it's one of the keys to having a fulfilled life in general. Yes. And, you know, for kids, it's natural to not understand that. You know, just consider it a teaching moment if they're having a little tantrum or something. Um, and again, jujitsu is a great vehicle to teach that if you can get your kids in jujitsu. And if they are willing to stick with it for long enough and they move up and get some skills, you know, at that point, they can look back and say, wow, look how far I've come. Mm-hmm. And I worked so hard to do it. And then it all kind of clicks in your head that, okay, if I work hard for a long time, I can get some really neat things that just take time to
0: happen. There's what no is, instant solution for it. What is the, uh, how does the saying go? It's, uh, it's not about the belt. It's about the journey,
1: mm-hmm. right? Exactly.
0: Um, that just reminds me of something that's not jujitsu related, uh, there's a lot of inequality in the world. And people complain about, about that for various reasons, mo- some of which are actually valid. Um, the wealthiest people, the, the average age of like a millionaire is like 55.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Takes a minute. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> it, people complain about inequality and how like the 0.001% have a lot of money, but they're all like 80. Like w- Warren Buffett's like 89. Like Jeff Bezos is like in his late 50s. Bill Gates is like actually seven. You know he's pretty old. Trump is worth a lot of money, but he's seventy something. Like all these people are old. They're very old. Only a few of them. Like your Zuckerberg is like well he's like forty something like that. He's yeah. not, he's pretty uh, pretty young. But most millionaires and wealthier are in their fifties or older. Which means they've been working for longer than most of the people who are complaining about inequality have been alive. Because most of the people who complain are college students in their twenties. And so you have all these really wealthy old people who've been working for all of this money longer than these people have been alive. And, and when you stop and think about it, it's not surprising to me that 70 year olds have more money than 20 year olds.
1: They should. They yeah.
0: should. <laughs> it would actually be a problem if 20 year olds always had all of the money.
1: That, yes, <laughs> I could agree. That, that would for be. For a, a lot of reasons.
0: They're bad decision making, first off. But secondly, like if you have all of the money in your are 20, and you know that when you're 70, you won't have all of the money because things flip. What's the point of living? Like, why would you want to get old? You know, well, like, and that's a little bit more extreme, but we're
1: getting off in the weeds here, but I could yes. see a case
0: for make like a pile weeds. of money yeah.
1: when you're young. And then, uh, rather than dying with a hundred million dollars in the bank account that you can't spend anymore, spend the rest of your life, enjoying it and living yeah. a fulfilled life and, uh, yeah. I would, I wouldn't mind dying and have my very last check bounce, you know, like right. Yeah. I made good use of all of my funds before I left. Cause you, you can't, what does it say? You can't hook a U-Haul to a hearse.
0: Right. So you're not
1: <laughs> taking any of it with you. Um, but anyway, we're off on a bit of a tangent there, Always. but, um, yeah, delayed gratification, man, that's, that's a huge key to a successful and fulfilled life. Um, and, You know, I think the irony is the people that understand that typically are the people that can offer instant gratification as a product or a service (laughs) because it takes a lot of work to, you know, create a product or build a company to offer these services Mm -hmm. that are going to tap into people's natural desire to have things right away. Um, but typically they understood delayed gratification they worked really hard, built a business and uh, now they're happy to take your money.
0: Yeah. What else we got? What do you got? I can't remember if we brought this up last time, but um, you had talked a bit about, uh, I forget the phrase you used, but you talked about like the uh, intimacy with um, and camaraderie. That's what it was yep. with uh, your jujitsu um, cohort, you know, people mm-hmm. that you train with. And um, like I said, I can't remember if we mentioned it last time, but one thing that I, that I feel very strongly is that the intimacy level with people that you roll with is, I think, stronger than almost any form of intimacy there is. And then I, I'm, depending, actually sometimes include like spousal intimacy in that, right? Because of how. You may want to see a counselor for that. <laughs> <laughs> because of how intense grappling is. Sure. Yeah. And we, I know, I know we talked a bit about like um, understanding the personality of somebody when you grapple with them, but there's, there's an intimacy to being able to read that without getting to know somebody like verbally. And that's kind of what I mean about like say spousal intimacy is like um, getting to date someone and talk to them and figure it out and go on dates and talk to them about what they believe and then go watch a movie and hang out and hold hands, all that kind of stuff like that takes time. You can... Fast forward all of that in, in like six grappling sessions with somebody. Sure. Oh yeah. Because of how intense it is. Yeah. The intensity of that is if you really wanted to, like maybe instead of counseling, what couples should do is they should grapple for like six months together and then they're (laughs) going to know everything (laughs) they need to know about each other for the rest of their lives because you can't lie. Yeah. Like there will, if you do lie, there will be, we talked about the incongruency between who you are and how you roll. And that, that's a very real, that means that you're, you can tell someone is not honest with themselves, right? You can feel that kind of stuff. And, um, I was, I remember when I first realized that I was struck by how intense that was, um, how intensive a feeling that is. I, I didn't realize no one, I'd never heard anyone talk about that part of jujitsu, mm-hmm. right? And, um, it's much more spiritual, which I, like I said, I was very struck by it. Uh, it happened one day randomly when I was, I think I was rolling with Sean, purple belt, Sean. And, um, it's when I first, him and I first, I first started to get to know him better, Mm -hmm. started to open up and be a little bit more friendly. And, um, he realized that my interest in jujitsu was very strong and I wasn't just someone who was just here as a hobby, um, coming in and out and then maybe would leave when I got a blue belt. He was like, okay, well, you're, you're kind of here for the long haul. And he started to open up his personality, we'd make more jokes and stuff. And then we started to roll on, I really, I started to to feel his intentionality and notice like his moods based on how he grappled. And I was like, oh damn, like there's there's like a, there's like a metaphysical level of jujitsu here that like people don't talk about, or maybe they don't even know about, a lot of them don't, that is so much, it's so much further beyond just a simple friendship or just a simple, simple camaraderie, or like I know you, you, you know me, we're acquaintances. It, it's, it, it's a very deep, deep level of knowledge about somebody that, like, I would be willing to bet that there are guys that I've rolled with for the last four years who might actually know me better than my girlfriend does, in some ways. Sure, yeah. Because my girlfriend doesn't do jiu-jitsu, so we've never had the chance to do that. And so there's parts of my personality and who I am that are hard to articulate vocally but I can articulate physically with jujitsu, yeah. right? With, just with how my personality comes out when I grapple. And that's a, it's a really odd thought to think about, but it's one I've spent in the last like two years trying to comprehend and understand and, and also solve. Cause you know, I would, I would like everyone to know me as well as grapplers do, you know, because I'm a very open and honest individual, but how do you articulate those differences when you can't really, it's really hard to do cause they're so physical. Sure. Um,
1: I think another big component of, uh, the, the bond and the intimacy that you get is trust. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Jiu Jitsu is the ultimate trust fall. Yeah. Uh, if you think of the, you know, old corporate exercises or whatever, where you would stand behind somebody and they would close their eyes and fall backwards and you got to catch them. This is that times a million because you're going to put yourself in a position where you're going to be, you know, physically damaged or choked unconscious. Um, and you trust that when you tap out, they're gonna let go. Yeah. And they do. And Hopefully. you have that yeah. experience over and over and over again with your training partner. And you just know if you tap, they're gonna let go and you get to do it again. So you're putting yourself at extreme risk but you're doing it safely and you're not worried about it in any way because you trust your training partner. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's a very rare thing in society to have that much trust with somebody that honestly, you may not even know all that well. Maybe you've only rolled with them a couple of times, somebody new in the class or you knew new to a gym, uh, but you know, as a jujitsu player, they're going to let go. So you trust them and they trust you and it's a non-issue. And that is something that I think is, is missing with a lot of interactions with, you know, quote unquote, the civilians of the world.
0: I agree. Uh, do you find that um, that in outside of jiu-jitsu that you're more perceptive to the mood changes of people when you're talking to them or you're noticing interactions? Like do you notice when someone like is is uncomfortable or angry or anxious or happy? Not just like actual like large verbal cues like that upset me. I mean like ticks and movements and energy if you ever noticed like someone's energy change when they start to get upset or fr- oh, flustered. Sure, yeah, of course. I started to notice that a few years into jiu-jitsu. It was around the time, like, uh, um, of the story I told Sean and I rolling and, like, kind of understanding, like, his personality coming out and his grappling. I started to realize, become extremely perceptive to, like, just changes in energy in a room when something would be said and you can, like, feel the chill or feel it heat up or feel it... Well, I'd see someone twitch maybe it was an innocuous Twitch four years ago, but now I, I look at it and I'm like, that person's really uncomfortable. And I think that all, that's one of those manifestations of, of putting trust in people here in the gym and learning the limitations of people. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, another part of that, uh, that ties into, it, at least for me is that, um, as you do submissions, as you get submitted a lot and as you practice submissions, um, for me personally, I can actually feel the, uh, um, the limits and the boundaries of the joints in a person's body. So like if I'm going to armbar you, I can tell before you'll tap that you're about ready to tap because of how you move.
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: So like, even if it's something like a big movement, like you'll, let's say you're on your side and I'm arm barring you and you'll shove your shoulder into my thighs, right? Cause you want to length you want to get your shoulder off the ground to allow for a little bit more room so that the arm doesn't break. Mm-hmm. You know, you try and turn, move, whatever. Those are big movements, but I can feel smaller movements. Like I can feel the, the tendons in the, in the joint in your elbow, like constrict and get tight and the slack gets pulled out of it. And so I know that it's about to break. Um, if I keep going and you don't tap, right? I'm say, I mostly feel with heel hooks. I can feel it on my own, but I'll feel it with other people. I'll put a heel hook on and I can actually feel the knee like seize, like the actual knee will like get tight and there's no more wiggle room. You don't really have that cause you're super bendy as an example, but, um, I can, I can feel though when that'll happen with you, Yeah, it takes a little bit longer than with someone else, but it seems to me there's a direct correlation be- between understanding those moments and understanding, um, Barely visible cues that people give off when their mood shifts in conversations. My brain has correlated those two things, and I can't figure out exactly if that's real or I'm just making that up. But I think, as a result of becoming more sensitive to and um, to people as they put their trust in me to not, you know, maim them, mm-hmm. I've learned how to pick up just naturally those kinds of things in social interactions too so that I'm better able to navigate my my way through interactions when people are uncomfortable or happy or angry or mad or whatever um, which I find very interesting and uh, like you mentioned in particular with a society that there isn't there's there's a dearth of I think social interaction in particular, like physical, like in-person social interaction, oh, yeah. you can even before COVID. Yeah, but you, you because of online media, it's a lot easier to just do things online, and you you already lose that skill because we naturally have that skill, right? We we naturally pick up on cues. You know, that's might be why if you're on a date, you may think it's okay to make a move because the other party gives a cue that makes it seem like you could make a move and it would be not rejected. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see that in movies. You know, like. the stupid example is like the person who like closes their eyes and like pushes their lips out for a kiss. Like no one actually does that, but to like subtle examples, like looking down to the left or like batting the eyelashes a little bit or whatever. And then you're like, Oh, I can kiss you now. Even though nothing's said you pick that up. I find myself more heightened to those kinds of things. Not those ones in particular, but um, just movements like that. um, Which is, it blows my mind that that's possible from rolling around on the ground.
1: They just gain a sensitivity to nonverbal cues. Yeah. Most people don't even talk when they roll. I do. I get a little bit chatty. Me I, too. Yeah. <laughs> I consider it a conversation, and some of that conversation includes words. Um, I tend to
0: laugh. I laugh a lot when yeah, I roll. Yeah. I laugh yeah. all the time. Um,
1: but there, yeah, there's the sensitivity grows. And, you know, tell me how many times have you had it where you're working a submission and you're not sure there's that battle. Maybe you didn't get the best technique, but you're pretty sure you can get it. So you're trying to put it on them. And you might be thinking you're getting, you're thinking of a different move. You're gonna move on to something else. And you see the hand come up in Mm -hmm. the position to tap. They haven't tapped yet, but they're getting ready to tap. Yep. uh, Which is not necessarily a good habit to be in. But once you see that hand come up, it's like, oh, I'm closer than I thought. And you keep going when Mm -hmm. normally you would have uh, done something different. Uh, yeah, sensitivity to those kind of nonverbal cues. Right. Uh, is, you can't help but gain those if you train long enough.
0: Not very true. And it's, um, I was a salesman for a very long time, and uh, there was a, a demonstrable increase in my sales very shortly after uh, starting jujitsu. And it, it's hard to attribute all of that success to just doing jujitsu. I made a lot of other changes. And so, um, in my life in and around that time. And so it's possible that it was other things, but I do firmly believe that, um, not only the confidence you get from doing jujitsu, but being able to understand those verbal cues, um, when I'm not verbal cues, sorry, uh, physical cues when I'm in front, in front of somebody. And then also, cause I did a lot of stuff on the phone, understanding those verbal cues just via the yeah. phone, like how they inflect mm-hmm. and stuff, um, dramatically increase my abilities or I should say dramatically increase my sales as a salesman. And I actually put in less effort, which is like the ultimate goal is you do less oh, and honest. get more. Yeah. And, and I think it's just a, 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 a product, a, you know, a product of all those things kind of things coming together. Um, you'd mentioned confidence and that's a big one, mm-hmm. I think, especially for kids in, in particularly for young men, but, yep. um, for young women too. And just really for kids in general, I don't think that kids are taught enough to have confidence in their whatever their abilities are. um One thing that often gets said to kids is that you're fine just the way you are. I hear this all the time, and it drives me absolutely crazy because kids are not fine the way that they are they're kids <laughs> and I don't mean that disparagingly like kids are all horrible and they shouldn't you know but if you were fine the way that you were, you would have zero reason to get better at anything. Right. So. Like- well, you know, i
1: so say I'm going to tie this back and I agree with you, but I'm gonna tie this back to the value of masculinity. Here's mm-hmm. why I say that, because I think that, that you should get both messages as a kid. Um, and traditionally, your mom is going to be the one that telling, that's going to tell you you're, you're perfectly fine just the way you are. I love you, always will, and, and, and that's important. You want that kind of support from your parents. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, if your dad can come up and say, okay, champ, there's some stuff we got to fix, so to speak, like, let, me, let me show you how to do this and so we can get sure. better at it. Um, to, so to have both of those, to have the emotional security and know that your parents love you, um, but they're not going to let you off the hook. And they're they're going to encourage you, uh, or maybe even just demand of you that you get better because it's for your own good. Yeah. Um, and you know, do so in a loving way. But still, you don't get a pass. You know, just because you're perfect in every way, just the way you are,
0: no, no, we got some work to There's do. There's a lot of problems, and I've been thinking about this for a while. And it, this is what I have as a better message, and I don't think the message should be you're fine the way that you are. I think the message should be something like you're not everything you could be, which isn't inherently negative. It's just a statement of you could be better.
1: Yeah. Well, I think if you preface that with, you know, uh, I love you just the way you are and always will, and you could be better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do hear that quite, uh, quite a bit and I, Um, It reminds me of confidence because I feel like it's going to or has and will and will continue to instill a false sense of confidence and complacency in kids. Because if if you're fine the way that you are, like I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, what's the point of doing anything new or trying to do anything else? It's like, well, I'm already fine. Yeah. And there are going to be some kids who, will, and adults who, are just going to do things anyways, because that's how that's who they are. They will always strive to do better things. But there are most people, and there are going to be a, an even smaller set of people who this is more radical for them or more common for them. They're going to be fine with that. Most people are fairly complacent with a fairly complacent lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's why we have an average lifestyle of a nine to five grind where you just go into work and it's not the, your favorite thing in the world, but you do it. Cause you need money. And then you go home and have a beer, or sit at, sit down on your underwear and talk to your spouse and watch TV and go to bed. <laughs> and you have this like fairly mundane and depending on the day, maybe a great lifestyle, but mostly mundane. And it could always be better, but you're like, ah, oh, I'm fine. Just the way I am. And it's like, eh, you know, if you can teach kids that it's, not only is it okay to fail and try and be better, but you should have confidence in your ability to do better. I feel like we will stop, we we will be able to raise generations of kids who will transform this country in a way that I don't think we've seen for a very long time. And um, because I'm actually worried about the direction that our country is going. And I would love to see I actually try and do this with all the kids in classes is, um, you know, they'll often ask like, is that how you do the move or is this, is this right? And I'll just tell them no, cause it's not. And I don't sugarcoat it. I'm like, no, that's, you know, we'll work on it, but that's not the move. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's like, did I do this right? And it's like, no, but <laughs> I appreciate the effort. We're going to work on it some more. Don't worry. We're going to get this. Like yeah. it takes time. You know, I don't need you to do it perfectly. I just want you to try it. Like, it's not about, whether or not it's fine because you tried it it's like whether or not you know you you, you um you got it right and so you're good it's like you know, we, we always got to be working on making this better, and so I don't want to lie to you and say that it's good when it's not it's like no, that doesn't do anything as far as I can tell for your overall growth because what if I never get the chance to show you how to actually do it right, what if you never come back and then you think you know how to do something and you're actually just really wrong with it, and then no one ever teaches you it's like. I don't want that. Yeah. I want I don't want to consistently put a bunch of 7-year-olds down and be like you're horrible at this. Like you're not going to be good for a long time. Like you suck. <laughs> you know, like I'm not the what's the um the what's the in karate kid the the bad guy's sensei, I forget his name, but, uh,
1: Cobra Kai, the Cobra Kai
0: dojo gym leader. He's kind of like that, but he's like, he's like a, he's like a huge asshole and he's like, you know, weakness is failure. And like, you all suck. And like, you must win at all. Like, not that I don't want that. Right. That's obviously wrong, but you know, I I think kids in particular can handle being told no and told that they're not good at something. And it's not like this, it doesn't break them to the point that they can't psychologically recover. Like we, right. I feel like this notion of you're fine the way you are is like a coddling of kids. It's like, I don't want you to experience trauma in any way. And it's like, then what, when they, what about when they experience trauma when they're 20? What about the kid who never experiences trauma? Cause they've been coddled. They've been given trophies when they don't do well in sports and You know, they're not failed because they're unique in school classes because they have different ideas or don't pay attention or whatever it is, all the coddling that goes on. And then they go to a college where as much as the colleges try and protect them and provide safe spaces and restrict speech that people don't like, they still have someone on campus who says something mean to them. Like they're going to freak out.
1: Well, and even more so when they get into the actual workforce.
0: Which doesn't Um, care about any of that. Yeah. They don't want to, mostly, most people in the workforce, most bosses and stuff want to see that you're competent.
1: Yeah, that's that's the most important thing. Can you do the job? If not, you you gotta go.
0: Yeah, and it's like, I see that as a great injustice and failure to our kids to not harden them. I agree. Yep. Appropriately, like I said, yeah. it, it's it's obviously it's a delicate balance, and some kids will handle it worse than others. You know the, how they're made up psychologically, whatever. You know their um, personality traits. Like you can't always you can't always be super upfront with kids because sometimes it's it's a little bit worse for some than others, and so you gotta you gotta balance that. But you you want to be real. I think kids I think kids can handle realism. I think they can handle that they're not great at something when they have a hard time doing basically everything because they're seven. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You know, we have a couple of teenagers who every time they come into the gym, they're like one limb is longer than the other. Like it's grown, you know, they, you know, they gained 10 pounds since I saw them a month ago because they're growing. So they're putting on weight and like, they can't walk anymore because like they're, they're trying to figure out how to use that. Like they're gangly now. And three months ago they weren't. And it's like three months ago, you may have been able to do a forward roll but now you're five inches taller off the way further away from the (laughs) ground. And like, you can't forward roll anymore. Like, I'm not going to pretend like you still can, you know, like you just got, you got to, you got to grow through the uncomfort, like keep doing it. Like you'll learn.
1: There are no participation trophies in (laughs) jujitsu. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Thank goodness. I'm really happy with that. Um, our old, uh, karate instructors, um, the owners, they, uh, they, they moved, but they, um, they had lamented, they'd done a karate tournament. And, uh, as part of the tournament, uh, that was, th- they had, I think they'd increased the fee from like a year or two beforehand so that they could have more money to buy trophies for everybody or like medals or something for everyone. So the medals for getting first, second, and third were, were different than the medals or whatever everyone else got. But they, um, it was like a, f- a five or $10 increase. It wasn't a lot, but there's a lot of participants. And so they, they increased it and they'd like mentioned it in the the flyer, the pamphlet. They're like, we're doing this so that we can get tro- trophies and medals and stuff for everybody this year. And I would
1: hope that someone that is an, an instructor in any type of martial art would know better. That's, I think it's an unfortunate testament to where society is at right now. And, and I don't know the full story. They may have been pressured by a bunch of parents and you know, if you're running a business, you got to keep your customers happy, and your customers are the parents that are paying for their kids to be there. So that's just unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it is. It. Um... And,
1: you know, it's it's a thing that, in, like, trying to shelter kids from failure and losing and all that. Um, the experience of failure and losing is guaranteed in life. It's going to happen, and it's like the chicken pox. And by that I mean, uh, when you get the chicken pox and you're a kid typically not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. If you get chickenpox as an adult, that's a much, much bigger deal. It's more dangerous. You're likely to get scarred up and things like that. It's a much bigger deal. Uh, I don't know if your parents did this, but back in the day, um, if you know, one person, one little kid got chickenpox, a lot of the parents
0: would send their kids kids to go hang
1: out and get it and get it over with. Yeah. Um, it's. I think it's. It is very important that the kids experience that early. early learn to work through the experience of failure, yeah. uh, and learn how to use failure. It's supposed to feel bad. It's supposed to
0: suck. Yeah. So it doesn't happen next time because you got better. Who says it? Uh, the phrase "embrace the suck" is that? Is that Jocko? I don't um, think it's him. I think it's someone else. But. I like the phrase, embrace the suck.
1: Yeah. And there's, you know, embrace the pain. Yeah. That was me and my buddies when we were uh, doing weightlifting and stuff, that was kind of our mantra. Yeah. Um, wrestlers, they all know embrace the grind. Yeah. Um,
0: Jocko yeah. does say he's like, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The good speech. <laughs> right. <laughs> you had a bad day? Good. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's super valuable. I mean, it is.
0: Yeah. yeah. Don't...
1: Don't uh, don't feel sorry for yourself. Acknowledge that it sucks, and prevent that from happening in the future. Right? Well, and
0: then learn from it, right? That was exactly. that was a big part of Fortitude by uh, Dan Crenshaw. Is he's like, you know, you, it's it's all about the the narrative that you repeatedly tell yourself. Because failure sucks. Injustices do occur. Some people just have shittier lives than others. Mm-hmm. There are legitimate people who they're a minority in multiple different ways. To borrow a phrase from Kimberly Crenshaw, that, you know, they they have multiple intersecting identities that cause lots of problems, and they're marginalized six different ways, and they're poor, and maybe they live in a city where there's a lot of gang violence. Like, there's people that were, life actually sucks, right, comparatively oh, to yeah. most others. Um, and you don't want to m- mitigate that, marginalize that, or mitigate that, or, or, or sorry, mi- minimize that, but if the narrative you only ever teach or tell yourself is that it's everyone else's fault, even if sometimes it actually is their fault, then all you'll ever do is blame the world for all of the problems that befall you. And he actually was in the book, he mentions quite a bit that like he'll even take responsibility for stuff he doesn't have control over just so that he can change the narrative in his own mind and find a way to, move forward and make the story about what's the next transition that he's going to, you know, move to and do something good with it. Even if like he couldn't control it. Like he, uh, he broke his leg in, uh, during hell week at, at buds for the seal training. So hell week comes, it's the fourth week of, um, like buds training and buds training six months long. It's where they don't sleep for like seven days. And if you don't make five. it five days, yeah, it's, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. If you don't make it through hell week and then you like get hurt, you have to start all the way over. Yeah. He made it to like day two or three. Yeah, that's right. It's Sunday night to uh, Friday morning or something like that.
1: I think literally in that whole time, you it's got like, four hours. Of sleep. Yeah.
0: It's not a lot. And, and like, even
1: the sleep, uh, at least one of the shows that I saw, like you're literally in some hole in the ground yep. with a bunch of buddies around you, you're cold, you're wet, you're sandy, you're exhausted. So they take bullhorns. And they turn up the volume, so they feed back on themselves. So they're ah, making all this noise. And they lay that next to the hole and say, 99 boys. <laughs> so, but you're so freaking tired. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything.
0: <laughs> so he, his leg breaks and, um, he gets rolled back to the start of buds when his leg heals. And he's like, you know, there might've been, I could have maybe you know, trained harder so that my muscles were stronger so my leg didn't break. But he's like, it's kind of outside of my control to a degree. Like sometimes your bones just break. He was like 28 or something at the time. He was older. And so like it was going to happen. You can can only be so old to go into the seals because your bone density, your bone strength just goes away once you get like in your late 20s. And so he's like, I could have just blamed the world for not being able to do this. But he's like, no, I just took this and resolved even... Resolved myself, even though there might not have been much I could have done. It freak accidents happen. You sometimes you just break a leg when you're doing buds, you know? yeah. And it's like it's it's all about the narrative. And you know, psychological studies apparently have shown that there's been a lot like the the benefit of trauma victims, whatever the trauma may be. You know, there's a wide range of traumas you can experience, but um, of trauma victims changing the narrative and taking responsibility or at least whatever responsibility they can and maybe should take too, um, of their part in the trauma and the healing that occurs is often like extraordinarily transformational. Like they'll take this very, very, very traumatic and difficult experience in their life and then do great things as a result of it. Even if maybe they took more responsibility than they needed to, you know, maybe- and it's, I think there's something to be said for that vol It's voluntary suffering. Like you're taking that responsibility and not giving that to kids, I think is, is so bad. You know, not, yeah. not allowing them to feel what that's like and then to grow from it and say, you know what, I'm going to bear this burden. I'm going to bear this and become a better seven-year-old as a result. Or, you know, it might be, that's kind
1: of a tough one. That's a bit more, uh, an advanced concept in terms of, uh, responsibility like that. Sure. uh, Very, very valuable. And here's the thing, even if it's not the, you know, capital T accurate truth, um, it's the empowered position to take. If all you do is blame the world, even if it's justified, then you're disempowering yourself to do anything about it the only choice you have is to sit back and be a victim because you know they did this to me and there's nothing I can do. So that's it. Versus, well, somehow I allowed them to do this to me. So I need to become better or find the good in this situation uh, and, and somehow turn that to your advantage and benefit. Um, and it's a hard thing to do. It can be very, very hard, but it's almost universally more beneficial
0: yeah so yeah no very very true um I actually went through this in college I uh I had a probably a pretty typical college experience and um in that I was out on my own for the first time and uh drank too much and got bad grades and then as college went on I got better grades because I grew up but I remember um Maybe that's not the average experience, but that was mine. So I had like horrendously bad grades as like a freshman and as a sophomore in college, and um, I think I had like a two four GPA, and um, maybe even been as low as like a two two. It was really bad, and I ended up graduating with a three one because I made dean's list for the last like seven quarters of college, hmm. and because um, I grew up. But I I was really angry at how because. I'm not a dumb person. Like I knew I could do way better than whatever it was I was able to do. But I was angry at the teachers that I took because of their personalities and the type of homework they gave and their lack of being available for office hours when I could do them and because they wouldn't answer questions when I'd email them or they wouldn't answer when I would raise my hand in class or their TAs were, um, you know, not good TAs. They wouldn't answer questions either, couldn't explain things properly. I had multiple TAs who were there for research and a few actually didn't English was like their third language. So they were it was really hard to learn things from someone who can't really speak English all that well. Like it's actually just tough, right? Sure, yeah. And so you know, I'd be angry at all of these things that are, you know, outside of my control. And I remember one day I didn't get into uh, two majors that I had applied to to get into. And I didn't think I would get into them, but not getting into them like just broke me for a bit. And I was like, I was angry at the world. And I, I realized I was like, I spend most of my time not studying, not trying hard. Oftentimes I'll stay up really late and drink three, four, five days a week. You know, I'll be too hungover to go to classes and I'll just tell myself it'll be okay. And then I'll re watch the podcast or the, read the lecture notes later, which I never did. You know, um, I would intentionally, I would, you know, not study for tests thinking I could just wing it. Cause that's all I did in junior high, elementary school, and high school is I just yeah. winged it. And I was smart enough to just skate through, you know, um, public schools and it was never, never a problem. Like I didn't even study for the SATs and managed to get into the UW. I was like, oh, I got some, I'm, I'm smart enough, right? Like <laughs> the arrogance of that, you know, or like <laughs> I can get a good enough SAT sure, score without yeah. studying to just get into the, the UW. And it's hard to get into the UW. It's not an easy school to get into. And like, I'm proud of that. But it's also like the hubris of thinking that I could just like skate through college because I'm somehow so smart, even though I didn't get that good. I didn't get like, you know, genius level SAT scores. And I remember just sitting there, I was actually drinking a beer while I was having this like, this um, this cognitive dissonance moment where well, I'm like mad at the world. And I was like, I looked at the beer and I was like, I should be fucking angry at myself. Like I'm the problem. Like I need to take responsibility and grow up. Like yeah. I need to figure out what I can do. And then I need to actually start doing stuff. Like I need to go to all my classes. And you know, cause like I would, like I said, I would drink way too late in the night and then not go to classes. But every quarter I took 830 classes, which is the earliest classes you could take. Every quarter, I had 30 classes Monday through Friday. I would intentionally do that and then not go to half of them. Sounds like you brought it on yourself. Yeah. And, I'm, okay. and so and here I'm blaming everyone else. And, it, you know, it's like, no, no, no. Maybe I should drink less and do more homework. And as soon as I realized that, I started to reevaluate what it is I actually wanted to do. And then, boom, you know, 4-0, 4-0 3-8 in a class, you know, make a dean's list, 4 a quarter. Like, all of a sudden, my grade just started to skyrocket and I tried less hard and I was like, Oh, like maybe I am really smart. because <laughs> you know, like, I'm trying less and I, I'm doing way better. And I, I, that was hard, but there's like a valuable lesson in that.
1: Yeah. You smart know?
0: enough to learn the lesson. And th- that was the thing is it was like, you know, I, I lost that lesson for a few years after college and then kind of refounded in my late twenties. But it's like, I think for me in particular with that moment, a big part of it was, and I see this a lot with athletic kids in jujitsu. I felt that because I knew I was smart, I was smart enough to know that I was smart, Mm -hmm. right? That I could just do things and I would be able to do them and I wouldn't have to really try super, super, super hard. And then I found out that that actually isn't the case. And with that, I found out that being smart isn't the be all end all anyways. And that that really hurt. That might actually be probably the biggest problem, the the hardest lesson for actual smart people to learn. Oh, sure, is that being smart doesn't actually mean a fucking thing.
1: Get passed up by a persistent idiot. Exactly. Yeah, you
0: know, and intelligence IQ is one of the biggest predictors of actual success in life. But it only accounts for like, I think that's like 15% of the variance of overall success. Now that's bigger than like virtually anything else except for uh, conscientiousness, which is like your ability to actually work hard. And that's why you see really intelligent, really hardworking people at the top of every field. Because not only are they absurdly smart, but they're willing to work 80 hours a week. But even those two together, it's like 30% of the variance. And so that's a hard lesson to learn though. It's like, okay, well, I'm smart, I'm not dumb, but it's way more important to take responsibility and get your priorities right. And it's okay to fail and not just get everything right. And then to tie that back into jujitsu, you know, I'm sure you've seen this too, especially being in multiple different, uh, multiple different gyms, you'll see someone come in and maybe they're a little bit younger, but they're, um, a younger, cocky, athletic kid. Maybe they have some wrestling experience. Too. That's probably the, the biggest one or they have MMA experience and they just expect to get everything. And then the first their first six months, they pick things up super quick, mm-hmm. especially if they're not dumb too, because it's a very cerebral sport. And so you see it all in your head, you're physically gifted, so you can actually articulate that physically. That's one of the hardest things is doing what you see in your head when you learn jujitsu. Jitsu, right? It's like making both, both of those things mesh up. And then they hit a plateau because it's hard. And it doesn't matter how smart you are, like very few people, BJ Penn, you know, very people can do that. They just get a, they just get a black belt in three years. I mean, he also spent eight hours a day on the mat and was a judo black belt, you know, but he did eight hours a day on the mat for seven years. So for three years, you know, seven days a week. And so like, you're going to get good, but like, that's a tough lesson is like, just because you have a gift, even if it's not like you're not, say you're not actually a genius, but he, just because you're smart and you have some intellectual talent doesn't mean that or some physical talent jiu-jitsu that you can just walk in and all of a sudden you're just the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard it is co-
1: similarly in uh, in Navy SEAL selection that more often than not, it's not the gazelles that get through buds. Yeah. It's not the people that are physically gifted because oftentimes those gifts have made their lives a lot easier. They go, you know, yeah. go out to a sports team and because they're gifted, they do really well, They don't even have to try very hard. Uh, and in seal selection, uh, they're going to break everybody. That that's literally the point is to take you to your breaking point and see how you deal with that, because that's the most important piece of information that they can get in terms of finding the right people to be seals. Um, so yeah, the people that are naturally gifted oftentimes will hit that wall and mentally they can't handle it. Whereas a more kind of average looking person that is just super, super determined that they'll, you know, they'll fail and they'll just get right back up and keep at it and mm-hmm. keep at it and keep at it until they finally, uh, get what they want.
0: Yeah. No, it's a, Yeah. that's one of the most consistent things I've heard about the seals is that, cause they, you know, you get a lot of absurd athletes that sign up cause it's the most rigorous training program, military training program in the world. It's considered. Yeah, that by Americans, I, there's probably I'm sure somewhere in Russia there's a there's a harsher training program.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, There's the Russians and the the English like that was the SAS have got a very legit. I mean, but any it, it's, special forces around the world, these guys
0: are right. But yeah. I mean, it, it's it's super tough. Like yeah. you're, you're talking twenty. It's got an eighty percent fail rate of the people who do it, mm-hmm. and that's actually lower than I would have expected. But it's estimated that between one and 2% of the actual, cause you, you have to like apply and then they have to accept you too. So it's estimated that like 1% of the population would get, like, I think it's either get accepted to the pro to do buds or would finish through buds. Either way, it's still a low percentage of people. Like that's not a big percentage. Like one out of a hundred people might have the ability to make it through a buds class. I
1: would say one out of a hundred would have the ability to be allowed to try. Yeah. And like, that's hard.
0: Yeah. And um, but yeah, that, that was a consistent thing I've heard too is that you get you know college athletes, just physical specimens will show up, and they'll throughout most of buds they'll be first in a lot of different physical things. Mm-hmm. But you know one of the one of the problems is that most college athletes have five trainers that are paid for by the college to make sure that they're sleeping properly, that they have people to help them study that have a diet nutrition plan so that they're eating properly and that they're weightlifting properly and then to go from that you know when you you got a little sore they rub out the muscle so that you, <laughs> you the stuff that i think is probably it's definitely good for athletes so that they can stay in tip top shape right. but then you take all that and you get rid of it and you throw them on a beach where you don't you sleep 3 hours a night and they they feed you a lot like they probably feed them 5000 calories a day so that they
1: At least, I think it's more. It's it's like four or five times,
0: but it's like it's not the. I'm sure it's not the most nutritionally like best food. Like I'm I'm sure that between what they feed them at buds and what the nutritionist of the D1 athlete was feeding them is going to be vastly different, because they don't have the ability or the funds probably to like personalize every meal. You know, it's you just get a crap ton of food. It's probably you know steak and potatoes, but you don't get enough sleep, you don't get anyone massaging your calves when they cramp up, you know, you, you, you don't get anyone mental, doing a mental health check to see how you're doing, like, it's none of that. You're just kind of stuck there. And when the shit hits the fan, it's a little, it's hard to be an elite athlete when the shit hits the fan when you're not used to it. Yep. You know, and so you have, like you said, those unassuming individuals who have no, there's no, there's no backup plan for them. That's right. what Dan Crenshaw says. He's like, I, he's like, I have no, I had no plan B. And Jocko says that too. He's like, yep. I've wanted to be a Navy. I've wanted to be a commando since I learned what it was when I was like nine. <laughs> and it's like most, I think most pretty much all Navy SEALs, like they know what they want to do from a kid or maybe from a teen. And they're like, there wasn't a question of whether I was going to fail. Like I was either going to die or they're going to medically retire me from trying. Yeah. That's it. Like, I'm not going to give up. Like a joint is going to no longer regrow or heal so I can do this or I'm going to kill myself. Like that's <laughs> David Goggins. Uh,
1: I was just going to bring up Goggins, yeah. Like, he, like,
0: broke both of his feet and, like, was still going to, like, swim 300 miles or whatever. They had, like, a long swim. And yeah. his instructor was like, are you you're seriously going to go? And he's like, yeah. Like, fuck it. You know, he's like, he can barely move and is, like, dying. It, <laughs> Actually. Took, him what? it, took, it took him three times at yeah. that. Yeah, three times. And yeah. he's he also did air, uh, um, Ranger school, too. Yeah. So another Special Forces school. And, he, uh, um, and that one's hard, too. And it's like... But he's also, like, a rare animal. He's a one in a couple million. He's a, one in, a million.
1: one in anybody, man. Goggins yeah. is a unique individual. <laughs>
0: he he is suffering. Yeah. Like, it's he his really whole day. <laughs> um, his wife posted a picture on Instagram of uh, of his feet and, <sighs> and then talked about how much, what it's like to live with him and how much she loves him. But um, his feet are disgusting. They're, they're, like, horrifically mangled and, like, blistered. And it looks like he has, like, way too many toes on both feet. Like, cause there's just like <laughs> lumps and stuff and like welts and
1: that's disgusting.
0: Yeah. Anyways, uh, what else you got? Um,
1: I think we kind of touched on most of the things I wanted to, to hit on there. Yeah. And exercise, of course it's phenomenal exercise. Yes. Um, it's a unique kind of exercise. There's a difference between, uh, being matte fit and any other kind of fitness. Um, now, we've seen plenty of people that can, uh, you know, run a marathon or whatever, but when you eat on the mat, you get gassed out real quick until your body's actually adjusted to that type of a workout. Um, so yeah. it's a fantastic full body cardiovascular and resistance trained workout.
0: The one caveat I'll say to that, and I've been trying to do this more with teaching kids and then also when, when I grapple, um, with, with kids and with adults is that I, I know a lot of gyms fall prey to when they roll, rolling on your on your on the ground. Like like both of you start on your butts or one starts on your butt and on your knees. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 problem that that I have with it is that there is a difference between grappling and like having grappling cardio and having level change cardio like wrestling. Sure. Yeah. Not like wrestling like, you know, because wrestling cardio and jujitsu cardio are vastly different too, because of how the structures work. And so wrestlers tend to go like full all out for nine minutes. Right. And jujitsu is much more relaxed. You want to do this for two hours. I think in the physical sense, it translates like wrestlers tend to do
1: well. They just need to learn to relax.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, but the one thing that they do have that I think a lot of jujitsu people lack because jujitsu doesn't do a lot of takedowns like double legs and things like that. Um, is the level change from standing to low, to lower into the ground to shooting. Yeah. That level change is really tough on people. I've noticed that as I've been doing it more, is it like that'll blow your cardio immediately? Oh, takedowns That's the hardest thing. Oh yeah. And so I always, I always try and start standing even if I'm just level changing by, I don't like to pull guard much, but even if I'm level changing to do that because it's still the level change and then get up and get down and stuff. And, um, that's the one thing I think jujitsu could work on is, um, more starting from standing, doing throws, doing takedowns and getting used to that elevation change because you start standing when you compete. And if you ever decide to compete, like you're already nervous. So you do one shot and it doesn't work. You disengage, you're already gone. If you're not used to doing takedowns or that level change, like you just, you burn out immediately because of the anxiety also, you know? And so it's, it's good to have, um, it's always fun to watch the kids I'll at least make one of it the, when they grapple, I'll at least make a half of them stand so they don't kill each other. And one 30 second round of like standing and trying to take down, dead, <laughs> you know, just just dead. I love it. All the parents are laughing because I'm getting their kids all tired so they can go home and go to sleep. <laughs> nice,
1: yeah, yeah. That's been kind of a long standing thing. And, and traditionally, uh, Jiu Jitsu players haven't been all that great at wrestling, no, uh, and it. It can get tricky, particularly if you've got a bigger class because you need a lot more room to practice takedowns so you don't throw somebody into your body. Yep. Um, So I can see why it would just, nah, it's just easier. Let's just, let's just start on the butt. Uh, And that happens a lot. Uh, But I I think you're absolutely right that there's a, a huge piece missing with not getting that time in and practicing takedowns
0: not and very just true. basic
1: wrestling in general.
0: It's so uh, good to yeah. practice and it's hard. It's real hard. It's really hard the, you work different muscles with shots in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you really learn how to, to be explosive with your legs in a way that's not typical with jujitsu. Yeah. Like jujitsu has got some it can have and, should, as you get better, I think, have more explosive movements, especially if you compete, like the whole purpose of jujitsu is to utilize the least amount of energy to manipulate your partner. Mm-hmm. Right. And in self-defense, you just want to use very little and make them outwork themselves and then, you know, uh, d- disarm them or whatever. But if in, in sport jujitsu, if the only, the people who get to the top are the athletic ones who can do that. Like very rarely are you ever gonna find someone who is just super lazy and embodies the Elio Gracie version of I'm just gonna kinda of lay here and not use a lot not use any strength whatsoever and then just miraculously stop you. It's like people are too athletic for that. Athletes will naturally rise to the top because they can do all those techniques and use strength too.
1: And there's also the the um artificial imposition of a time limit. Yes. Yeah, you know, when when Alio was originally there was no time limits. Yeah. yeah, when when he was originally you know competing or taking challenge fights, really, yeah, it was no time limit. And that was
0: part of it too, is that he he knew that he could just bite his time. He ropedoped. Yep. Before rope-a-dope was a thing, like yeah. he was the original rope-a-doper, Right. He just kind of lay on bottom, let some big dudes squish him a bit, and then he'd move him away and choke him or armbar him.
1: Yeah. And that's um, that's effective in, in terms of self-defense, yeah. uh, where there are no weight classes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody uh, somebody gets an altercation, and if they're a lot bigger than you, then time is on your side. Yeah. Um,
0: but knowing the knowing how to have good technique with explosive movements, I think is important. Though, I do think that um, a good amount of the jujitsu instruction that I've listened to, say on YouTube in particular. Um, and jujitsu philosophy actually talks about not having explosive movements Mm -hmm. and strength and stuff. And I actually do disagree with the notion of not having those things. I think it's better to teach someone how to not do them up front. Like I don't teach my, the kids I teach to, to use explosive movement or to, 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 to try really, you know, to, um, to overexert themselves. I try and get them to do this stuff using as little movement as possible so they can understand why stuff works. But once they get good at it, I want them to do it with force.
1: Like I'm gonna push back a little bit just sure. because um, as an example, I, don't, I wouldn't want anybody to do an explosive armbar.
0: No, 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 no a, a yeah.
1: smooth and controlled, and they can be fast, but not explosive. On the flip side, uh, when you start standing, yeah. the, the takedown component, the wrestling component, then that explosiveness and that just raw power yeah. is definitely gonna be beneficial. Um, but once you're actually, and particularly when you're training, you know um the if anything uh using explosive strength
0: can mask bad technique and that's that that's the ba- that's the the line that has to be drawn yeah. right which is why i think um there's such a prevalence of technique over strength and i actually agree with that because I, I don't want bad technique to happen but i think that it's entirely possible to have very good technique and strength and speed and agility and and all those kinds of things. It just takes time. Yeah, you know, and you. I mean, you just watch high level jujitsu, and like, there's there's no way that someone like uh, Jeff Monson or uh, um, even Gordon Ryan to that extent, or some of these other Brock Lesnar doesn't use strength with their wrestling. Well, I guess he Brock's never really done ADCC, but um, Jeff Monson, he's huge. He was two hundred and forty pounds. There's no way he doesn't use strength when he grapples. Sure. Yeah. But he's also got really good technique for a large fucking dude. It's just that he can do both. It takes time. Yeah. You know, and um, you, especially with like like someone like Lachlan Giles, like when he was grappling against the heavyweights, I'm sure he was using as much strength as he could muster against someone who's 245 pounds. He would have to if he's 170 pounds.
1: He wasn't relying on it though that No, was, and that's, that wasn't the, the, that's the key. The. Uh, uh, the main thing that wasn't his a game so to speak it was you know you back yeah. up good technique with the strength that you need
0: and utilize it when you need it yeah. right like in, in in my head what i visualize is like not necessarily with him but um in my head i'm thinking of say one of the girls in our classes who's technically very sound we have a couple of uh girls who are their technique is very good for you know being 12 they're grappling with a boy that's got 60 pounds on him and they can you know. Do maybe a butterfly sleep a butterfly uh, sweep, nice and slow, or as the kid gets a little aggressive, thinking he's gonna smash this tiny girl, they just pff, add a little bit of power to that lift and just toss the guy an extra few feet to get him off of her. That kind of thing, right? Where you're sure. you're picking and choosing where you use your strength. You don't got to use it all the time, um, but knowing that you can use it, that your technique still works when you use it, when you use power, and then knowing like when the appropriate times to use it are, right you know, because there's no point to use all the power that you have when you're on the top of cross side, driving a shoulder into their chest. You're just going to waste your energy, right? You're better to just relax and open your chest and put all your weight in one point. And, but maybe if you're on mount and you know, you could tap them from mount, you use a little bit of that power in the hips, right? You kind of learn to when to pick. And that's a hard thing to teach someone, Yeah. Um, It's it's a tool.
1: I'll I'll, I'll go back to Thornton and I'll say that, um, slow is fast and fast is slow. mm -hmm. When you're training, if you go slow, be very deliberate and get the excellent technique, you will eventually become fast. That's a natural byproduct. But if you are trying to be fast before you have the technique itself mastered, then it's going to take much longer to actually learn a technique.
0: Yeah, right. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And, I mean,
1: there are weight classes for a reason. For you know, yes. speed and strength absolutely have an impact on what's going on. Yes, um, but it's not necessarily something that you want to focus a lot of training time on.
0: No, no, no. no. I think um, it's like a, I think it's tertiary. Yeah, yeah. To any to to the other things, technique, um, depending on the on the person, the mental acute like their ability to mentally pick it up. Mm-hmm. Probably it could be more. I think at least for me personally, it's more important to me um, how I think about things mentally is has a huge impact on how I actually do them physically. Some people, they don't think about it that way. I'm much more cerebral than most. And so yeah. I, I need that. Um, some people just need to get a lot of reps physically so they can do it, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's, that's been a fun concept to think about it and, and try and in particular to try and teach it without, you know, develop, ha- having kids develop bad technique. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I don't do it with most of the kids, but some of the kids when they're, I start to notice them picking moves up and doing it to everybody and they're doing it well. And I'm like, okay, like let's add a little oomph to your, to your sweep here. Let's add a little oomph to your takedown, to your, you know, to your, to your arm drag. Let's, let's see what happens. If you, you know, you just, you pick it up just a little, pick the pace up just a little bit, try and keep the same technique, you know, and then maybe I'll grapple with them cause I'm a lot bigger. And it's like, okay, well you, you need to try harder to move me. Than you do another twelve-year-old, right? And so that's when that stuff becomes important, as you learn when to utilize your power when you need to. Because I'm off balanced, right? Maybe if I'm off balance, maybe just lifting me to try and sweep me isn't enough. Maybe you have to generate force and drive through me pretty tough, sure. Because I might have eighty pounds on one of these kids, you know, and that's just realistic physically. Um, Because, like you said, you know, there's there's no weight limits in a in a real fight. Yeah. And like my, my one big fear personally is that I will practice lightly how to do all these moves. And then someone's really angry on the street and I'll get thrown to the ground and I'm trying to deal with them. And I'm not used to doing it a little hard, at least a little hard. And then it doesn't work. That would, I don't know if that's actually a realistic fear, but I will, I will tailor my training depending on, um, on that thought, so sometimes I'll, I'll go slow. I'll flow roll, hardly any speed or strength at all. And sometimes, depending on my par- training partner, I'll negotiate, of course, and pick it up a bit and go a little bit faster, go a little bit harder because I know I can with them. Right. So I can know what that feels like too, right? Because once your anxiety kicks up in a street fight and you're scared and you might actually die, like you want to know what it's like to kind of grapple with that kind of intensity and heart rate. Like that's, sure. a, that's important, yeah. you know.
1: Statistically, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Probably not, uh, no. <laughs> say, you know, when you are stressed out like that, then you just perform like you train. Yeah. And we've all had the experience of an escalating role Somebody starts going a little faster, going a little harder, and you just match them. You just mirror it. It just happens. Right, exactly, it's, yeah. <laughs> typically, it, it, or it, it potentially become a bit of a problem because everybody's matching each other and you can get a little out of hand. Um, so it's not so much the the concern of, will I be able to keep up? Like, that's going to happen. Probably, yeah. um, But it's also, I think it's valuable for just the uh, physical conditioning of it. Yes. A hard roll is freaking hard. Yeah. You know, you can do a real slow roll; and it's a lot more chill, and you can work on your technique, and you get a lot more time in. But every once in a while, if you want to go full out, then there's a lot of physical benefits that you can get from that, just from the workout.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And for us, Sahabi has an interesting philosophy on this. He talks about, uh, excuse me, about how he doesn't. Uh, what does he say? Basically, he's like if you are sore after a roll or like the next day, then you rolled incorrectly. That's his philosophy. Mm. And, um, and he'll actually have roles where he gets sore. He actually, I saw a recent, uh, YouTube video he did where he talked about being sore. Cause they just did they some time off during the coronavirus, and they're now back grappling. And he's like, I rolled a bunch and now I'm sore. But his whole purpose is you want to be deliberate and not overexert. Um, Which I actually want to get to a point where, like, I can, because he talks about how he he can even increase the pace of his grappling and get a good workout in and sweat, but not get sore. And he, he, I need to, I want to listen to how he breaks this down more, because I believe he delineates between going hard and fast and like overexerting your muscles because you're not controlled.
1: Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And
0: I think that's his big point is that you can go hard and fast and not overexert yourself to the point that your muscles are like completely fatigued, but you have to learn that balance. Sure. And that's actually the really hard thing is like, and that's what I'm, that's why I'm trying to do this with the kids is they're like my, they're like my mice, my lab mice trying to, <laughs> you know, I'm using the, you know, the seven to 13 year olds to like figure out how to make this work. Like how, you know, how much uh, engineering can I do to with you guys to figure this, this thing out? Cause it's not easy, you know? And, um, I do it with myself all. Cause I, like you said about the, um, escalating, matching the intensity of the person you roll with. When I notice that that's happening, I intentionally stop it.
1: It's good. It's a good habit to be in If
0: I notice that I'm rolling with someone, this happens with uh, uh, Trino, Um, he will intentionally go slow. He likes to go slow. Mm -hmm. And if I notice after like a minute or two that we haven't really sped things up, I'll intentionally go faster. In part, because it'll catch him off guard. I might catch him in more things. I'm gonna do this with brown Mark as well, because Mark has one pace. And it's a, a, you know, it's a, it's like a train. It's like a slow train. He's like, he's like Johnny Cash, right? He's like a, just a slow train that won't stop, but yep. can't he, but he has a hard time going faster. So if I can get, if I can get him, I'll go faster to disrupt his, his rhythm. Um, and sometimes we rolling with some white belts or some kids or some other blue belts and we'll start to go fast and then I'll immediately lock things down and breathe in slow. And then I'll pick it up maybe a minute particularly later.
1: Particularly with white belts, because that means yeah. they're about to spaz out. Well,
0: you kind of have to anyways, because they're yeah. white belts. Or you, you, Someone's going to die. It's yeah. probably going to be you. Um, but because I'm really interested in, like, trying to figure that out. Like, how do I – how can I dictate pace and how, how can that help my cardio? Um, how do I figure out exactly how much force to use or how little force to use, right? Um, and when is it beneficial? You know, because some sometimes you – like, maybe sometimes I'll try and do like a butterfly sweep, and I'll realize that I'm actually using way more energy than I need to. Mm-hmm. And so, I'll, instead of forcing the sweep, I'll realize, oh, it's because they're too far away. So, I'm not like, they're not over my butt. So, I can't really lift them. I'm just, I just have semi-strong legs. So, I'm actually lifting them, but it's all strength. Yeah. And so, I'm trying to be aware of that kind of stuff. And then once I can fix that, then I lift lightly. And then it's like, well, now we'll see what happens if I get the right position and then lift real hard. And then, you know, they fly over me and it's funny. (laughs) And and, um, that I enjoy, especially with kids, because then they really fly because they're tiny. And uh, it's like a catapult. (laughs)
1: Come to the kids class. We'll chuck you around.
0: We will chuck your kids through the (laughs) air. It'll (laughs) be safe. (laughs) Um, uh, So our last podcast um I talked about how I would love to heel hook uh Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. Like not because like like just because it would be fun to grapple with somebody famous and like it'd be fun to grapple with Putin not for any other reason but to grapple with him that heel hook wouldn't be like an indictment upon what I presume are fairly terrible governmental policies but I'm really that it's just more. I just want to grapple with him, sure, because he's knows judo and it'd be funny. For the
1: record, I would I would just sit guard immediately. I'm not going to let him
0: throw, throw me. me. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it, it it would just be funny to say that I've you know heel hooked the president of sure the Russian Federation. I can um,
1: legitimately say I put a rear naked choke on Hicks and Gracie.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely. Who uh, Who is famous or well known or in a like a, a position of power? that you would want to grapple who um, I'll narrow that who also has grappling experience. Okay. Is it just famous or this is it political? doesn't matter. Just somebody who would be well known in the public in some form of public sphere. Yeah. And they could, they don't have to be a grappler either. Like Maynard James Keenan. Okay. He does jujitsu, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He's a pur- purple belt. Pur- I say purple belt, yeah. Yeah.
1: He's the lead singer of Tool and A Perfect Circle yeah. and also a uh, owns a vineyard and a uh, Haskaria or several. He's a fascinating character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and because of that, because he's hyper intelligent, very cerebral, yep. I'd be very interested to see how he rolls. Um I get the sense just from seeing a few interviews and listening to him on Rogan and such, he's probably got a little bit of a mean streak. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would, I'd like to roll with, with Maynard. I think that, that yeah, that would be I awesome. forgot he did that. Yeah. yeah.
0: He, he'd be a lot of fun. He's fascinating. Yeah. He's a, um,
1: did you ever see the video where the fan came up on stage when he's in the middle of a concert? Hmm. So he's in the middle of a song this fan somehow gets himself up on stage and he's kind of like, you know, walking towards Maynard and Maynard, like he just doesn't even break stride. He, uh, he sees the guy coming towards him and he kind of puts his arms out like he's gonna give him a hug and the guy's like, yeah, I'm gonna hug Maynard immediately switches to a hip toss, <laughs> tosses the guy down, <laughs> uh, backmounts him so the guy is face down, bellied out <laughs> and finishes the song. Ha <laughs> ha! didn't miss anything like if you were listening to the recording you would have no idea that anything happened i love it and it was uh, i don't know another two three minutes worth of song <laughs> just holds him down yeah and it was really because th- there are parts of the song if i get exactly which song it was um but basically he is in singing the song screaming at how stupid this guy is through the lyrics of it um and just the, I mean, just seeing him hunched over on this dude's back, he's screaming into a microphone, it's a pretty powerful image. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs>
1: that was a, a real life use of some jujitsu there.
0: <laughs> he's a he's a he's very big into uh, the psychologist Carl Jung. Okay. Um, who uh, is is a genius? Carl Jung's like a legitimate genius, much like Freud was. And he's terrifying, and. He was the kind of, like, psychologist that, as, like, time went, um, other psychologists didn't like talking about him and would tell people to not study him because he was so different than everyone else, like the shit mm. that he, that he like, thought of and and developed. He, he developed the concept of the shadow, um, of, like, integrating your inner shadow, your inner demon. Mm. Um, roughly speaking, he uh, is really big in archetypes. So he's kind of he he was one of the the main individuals that uh, fleshed out the notion of like uh, the hero and um, the king and the tyrant and the the devouring mother and uh, all those kinds of things and okay. the, the the jester and uh, and and what have you and um, I forget there's like five or six tool songs that like directly reference um, concepts and stuff that he. Um, Came up with and when I found that oh, out I was like I didn't I, I've always loved a perfect circle and tool and when I found that out I was like go you man go go uh, what's the singer's name again Maynard James Keenan yeah I was like go go you Maynard like that's that's deep yeah like that's super deep like he's one of, like I said he's a psychologist that other psychologists are terrified to talk about because he's so out there and so he's like he's not really a mainstream psychologist he's like the crazy guy that is part of psychology that like no one really wants to talk about and so, no one in the mainstream like world who doesn't study psychology is going to know the stuff he talks about.
1: Interesting, um, I did not because I've heard his name a bunch. I just yeah. assumed he was accepted he, as one of the,
0: you know, no. Ap- apparently, in like academia, he's um, Jordan Peterson actually talked about this because he's a he's a very big proponent of Carl Jung, and a lot of his research is based off of Carl Jung, and he's a big proponent. And he actually mentions that mentioned that in graduate school he was warned by many, many, many other psychologists, other professors to not study Jung because of how Jung was looked at in the, in academia. Cause he was just an outcast. He was like a black sheep. Everyone's like, this is how you view psychology. These are the established ways. And Jung was like, y'all are stupid. <laughs> so I'm going to come up with all these different ways to like, he was really big with dreams too, from what I understand. And, um, I actually bought one of his books. I'm excited to read it, but, but yeah, um, Maynard James Keenan would be fun to grapple with. Uh, who would you roll with? Outside of Putin, um, yeah. I th- I would, uh, I actually would grapple Paul Walker. Okay. I think that would be a lot of fun, um, or would have been. Um, I would totally grapple Ashton Kucher. Yep. That'd also be fun. I mean,
1: he's got to be tough, man, because he's so long.
0: Yeah. He's, and he's got, I mean, like, you know, he, uh, he trained
1: under uh, Hegan Machado. Yeah. So that's very, very legit
0: yep very That's legit just, legit brown belt yep. um he's also like 6'3 exactly 200 <laughs> somewhat pounds he would fuck me up yeah I he's am, smart and he's, he, he's not he's dumb. A very smart dude um so i he would be a lot of fun honestly keanu reeves would be another fun one oh yeah, yeah. just because i like keanu i love it. he just seems him. like a really nice guy yeah um yeah he, he definitely would be one that i would enjoy um the other one this is more of a nerd out, but uh, there's this uh, black belt. His name's uh, Raphael Levy. Hmm. So Raphael Levy, he is a Hall of Fame Magic the Gathering player, like Magic the Gathering, the card game okay. from the 90s. Yeah. I've been playing that since the, the late 90s. And I'm um, a huge Magic the Gathering fan. And uh, he's, as far as I'm aware, he's the only professional Magic the Gathering player who like, actually like m- pretty most of his what he does is Magic the Gathering. I didn't know you could go pro with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's decently lucrative. It's getting more lucrative as esports in particular become more popular. Right. And it's, it's the most successful and the largest uh, um, card playing game in the world. Um, but there's been more and more money that's been made by professionals as it's gotten bigger. And Twitch is a big reason for that because they film uh, it all on sense. Twitch yeah. in particular. Yeah. But did um, you be- play that virtually? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You then, so you, oh, you yeah. can do it, you can do it virtually. I okay. actually I play quite a bit actually okay. a couple times a week now, um, but yeah. I, so I really like that game, and I actually am not a I'm not a big fan of Ralph Levy's uh, um, game playing style, like his him as like a player. I know him though, and I've watched him play and I like him. There's just some other players that I actually prefer. But when I found out he was a black belt, I was like, I would that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> like, because I, I do like him sure. and it'd just be kind of fun to grapple and play magic with him. Um, that one would be a lot of fun, but it, mostly it, I, I would definitely want to grapple Putin. He's the only like political figure I know that does any kind of a uh, martial art, like or does like a grappling art. If there are others, I would grapple them too but him would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I like it. It'd be fun to, I would grapple Trump. I don't know if Trump knows any martial arts, but I wouldn't just still be fun.
1: I wouldn't necessarily grapple Trump. I would just want to wreck Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would, there would be a much different intent with that individual. I just gotta be honest. How are we doing on time?
0: Oh, we're good. We're good. Um, yeah, no, Trump would be a lot of fun. Um, if, yeah, I I agree. Wreck would maybe better than grapple. <laughs> grapple. I I would I would want to grapple Putin, not to hurt him, but just because I think it'd be fun to grapple a judo black belt right. who also happens to be a dictator. It'd be a really weird thing to do.
1: Yeah. Well, you may not have the option to hurt him.
0: <laughs> yeah, See he does
1: train. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I
0: mean, and judo is pretty violent, so yeah. it's like you yeah. just you just never know. Um, what was that shirt that uh, Habib wore? Uh,
1: if Sambo were easy, it would be jujitsu. <laughs> So yeah, they they train
0: hard for No, they 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 really yeah, Sambo, Sambo is absolutely absurd. Yeah. Absolutely absurd. But I think the the big benefit, I think, to jujitsu is that it's the longevity of jujitsu. Right. Right. It um and that that's kind of always I think that's always really been the the appeal and the knock. Like there are harder wrestling is harder to do than jujitsu. Like it is it it is more it is more physical. Right, but there's a reason that like ninety five percent of wrestlers in in say in America stop at high school, yeah, not a lot of sixty five year old wrestlers They're <laughs> very few, and the ones that do like they're they're I don't ever want to wrestle them because like they're in better shape than I was when I was eighteen, right, but they're also very lucky they don't get hurt a lot or they or the, they're just
1: straight up broken and, and they get over too, it. Yeah, uh, too hard headed to quit. But well, yeah, and how you, many surgeries have they had and et cetera, et cetera. Well, and
0: you actually see that with, well, like, you see that with Hickson or with Pedro Sauer, like they did not do a a light form of jujitsu. Yeah, like these are these are the guys who were doing all the challenges, all the actual fights, barefisted, you know, hard into the ground, like intense training there's a price to
1: pay for that without,
0: without soft mats, you yeah. know, like, and so now they're fusing all their joints together. And and so as we evolve it into a much more, an actual, a more, much more gentle sport, you're going to see people be able to do it when they're that age, when they're, it's not a problem, but it does lack some of the physicality of, yeah of Sambo, of, of judo, you know, of wrestling, but uh, which kind of sucks. Like I, one of the things I struggle with personally is, I like that I can do this and will probably do this for until I die. But there is, there's like a very primal deep part of me that every now and again, I just want to really up the physicality.
1: Yeah. That's not going to go away until you get hurt enough times. At least that was my experience. Yeah, and, and I, I still, I wrestle with that uh, pun intended to this day. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm 46 now. Mm-hmm. I, there, there are some stuff I should not be trying to do and there's some stuff I gotta stop doing and all that, because my goal is to, to roll until I'm much older. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do need to be mindful of potential injuries and things like that and and not just try and meathead head my way through stuff. But I think that's one of the benefits of the modern era of jujitsu where the old school guys went really hard and there there's something to be said for that. Um, But more importantly, that fundamental technique that they've been refining for so long Mm -hmm. and the technique that I really want to embrace. But with the new training methods, we can do that for much longer. And one of the biggest, um, effectors of your ability in jujitsu is your mat time. Yes. So if I can spend less time being injured and more time on the mat, I'm going to get better. Yep. So if I can train safely, which means a bit slower and a bit more deliberate, um, then I'm just going to get better.
0: So, yep, no, I agree. And we were talking a bit earlier about, um, how to incorporate strength and like speed and stuff into training without sacrificing, uh, um, technique. And that's what I'm trying to do when I want to add a little, a little bit of that ferocity that you see in like wrestling and in in Sambo is like, I'm, I'm trying to find out how to do that in micro doses. Right. When is the best time to unleash a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of that anger. Right. Or that, that primal, you know, rage. I think we all carry, you know,
1: I ideally that's best served in the gym and the gym meaning like actually just working out with weights and stuff. Yeah. And, there's a, there's a definite benefit, um, uh, particularly as we get older of doing separate strength training. Um, you don't have to, I've seen it argued both ways, but I do believe that, uh, if you strengthen yourself outside of your time on the mat, then your body's going to be in a better position to handle all of that as sure. physical as jujitsu is. Um, it's, the, the movements themselves are much less controlled than just doing weight training. Weight training is very, very controlled. So you can go much harder because you can, you know, you can you can fail in a safe way if you're, you know, pushing dumbbells or whatever, just yep. set them down, no big deal. But if you exert everything and twist just the wrong way or what have you in jiu-jitsu, now you're injured. Now yep. you can't do anything for the next five months or you know, whatever the situation is. Yep, yep. Um, so the ideally you blend both of those, you do some strength training. And there you can get as nutty as you want and push hard. Uh, but then when you come to class, you're slow and deliberate and you just happen to have more strength. So when you roll with the bigger guys and you're going slower and more deliberate, uh, you can still make it work because you are stronger. Right, so. right, right,
0: yeah. No, it's it's an interesting concept to play with. It's uh, I go back to what we were talking about in uh, the last podcast about m- probably the biggest, the thing I love the most about jiu-jitsu is the mental aspect of it. And this is part of that is that like, there's a conundrum in my head where every time I do jujitsu, I feel better about everything about my life. Mm-hmm. Right. It gets rid of a lot of that tension and the, and the, and all that. Um, and part of what I do in my life is I, I I'm figuring out how to do what Carl Jung suggests when he suggests that people integrate the shadow, which is the darker parts of their, their themselves. Like mm-hmm. we all have a dark part to us a part that a dark passenger as uh, um, Dexter likes to stay in the show, Dexter, right? You know, it isn't that people are good and some people are bad. Like we're all good and bad. We all have evil to us. And then most people spend their whole lives repressing that and not thinking or talking about the dark thoughts and the the weird dreams and the bad thoughts that they have when they're angry at someone and all that. And part of jujitsu, I think, and part of grappling in general is, in martial arts really, one of the beautiful things about martial arts is martial arts integrates those things because it's physical, right? You're learning how to like, even if you're doing modern day karate versus old school karate from hundred years ago when it was more effective, like you're learning how to kill people. Like that's, that's hard to do theoretically. theoretically, right? So like you're learning how to do that though. And so you have to be able to integrate the darker parts of your psyche in order to actively do that. You can't just be happy, go lucky and like successfully do that. You need to know how to have a little violence and otherwise it doesn't work. That's kind of the point, point. Right. and so it's fun for me mentally to figure out how to how to uh, feed that and tame it while staying um, relaxed and uh, flowing through stuff and not spazzing out and expounding energy and going too hard because there's a balance. There's like a, you want to. If you were to look at like a yin-yang symbol, you want to straddle the, the snake in the middle. That's the, yeah. that's, that's the point of that, right? That's one of the technical points of, of the Taoist symbol of the yin and yang is you want to straddle the border of chaos and order. And that's what that is, right? Going slow, learning your technique is that order part. It's deliberate order. Even in jiu-jitsu where there's less order than there is in like weightlifting because the movements are more fluid, that chaos is unrestrained rage and, you know, power, you got to rein that in. Otherwise you get hurt. and it just, then you're just the Hulk doing dumb stuff. You break everything, right? Yep. People get hurt. And so it's fun for me mentally to try and figure out how to unleash a little bit of it and then pull it back in. Like, when is the good time to, to, to add a little oomph to my movements, right? Is it as soon as I mount when I'm an S mount or is it once I get a choke locked in and then I do a little oomph to lock the choke in. And then that's, that's, you know, then you tap and then we're done. Right. Or <laughs> something, you know, we add a little bit extra power to the end of that choke. And so, you know, you so they know you got it right. Um, or do you, or do you just decided just to go slowly into the choke and just wait 10 seconds until they go out. Like there's a choice and you can make both and they're both fine. Um, or do you go way too hard trying to pass the guard and they have good guard retention. So you waste your energy. Because right? that's the other thing too is like you got to pick and choose. Maybe I go fast and you're bendy, you're gumby. So passing your guard is very tough to do. So if I run around in a circle like a dog, after a minute I, I can't grapple anymore. So it's, it behooves me to take my time and just slowly pick apart. And then once there's enough space between your elbow and your knee, then I explode. Try and fill that space before you do. Maybe. Right, I think I think scrambles and takedowns are your best bet for that. And that's what I've been finding too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Any other time, if if you're trying to explode, first yeah. of all, you get rigid. Yes. Which makes you a lot easier to control. Yes. Uh, I can push on any part of you, and the whole your whole body's going to move because you're stiff as a board. No, very true. Yeah. Which is great if I'm trying to sweep you. Yeah. Um. You know, the opposite being if you'd be like a uh, you know, wet sand or a wet yep. blanket. And just lay on them. That's super hard to deal with,
0: Um, which which is why I try to do that. No, Uh, there's that back and forth, though, of like, when is it right to do that? You know, like in the mount, as an example, you don't always, if you're on top, you don't always want to, uh, to just be a wet blanket. At some point, there will be enough space. The person will find enough space to get out. So there's times when like maybe they bridge you actually, you know, you kick the let you kick you kill the bridge with your foot, right? Yep. And so but that takes power. You can't do that lightly if someone below you has a strong bridge. If a wrestler tries to bridge under you and you don't you don't utilize even you know, you don't utilize enough power in that in that kick. Those bridge through it. I don't know. I, would, right. I
1: wouldn't, I wouldn't take that into like the monster power no, sure. rage no, category. No, no. Like, of course. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Use some strength. Uh, no, of course. Yeah. And, and that's, that's partly what I mean is that there's, there's levels of it. And I like mentally trying to figure out when it's appropriate to use some, yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually raged out as it were. I've grappled someone who has, and it's terrifying. <laughs> um, I'm not that way. That's part of it is like, I don't like, I don't think I've ever been that angry. Yeah. And so, um, maybe not since I was like a teenager when all kids are that angry, but um, that's not really my style, but I understand it. And I'm trying to like harness that and utilize that as best as I can without doing what, you know, angry, macho white belts do. Yeah. When they're muscle bound and don't like losing, you know, and then (laughs) they try and drill you into the ground and you have to show them who's the boss.
1: (laughs) Just help educate them. That's all.
0: Right. <laughs> There's no bosses, <laughs> just teachers. Right, right, exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> All right, so we're
0: almost at two hours.
1: Oh, well, there you go.
0: All right, well, let's, uh, let's wrap it on up. That was a good talk. That was. All right, everyone, we're done. <laughs> That's it. That was BJJ talk number two. We will do more of these because they're infinitely better than talking about and depoliticizing politics and other things. At least more ju- relaxing. Definitely more relaxing. Yeah, but uh, the
1: current state of affairs—we got to talk about that too because it is—it's very real and the impacts uh, could be very bad. Yes. So we'll see. speaking of
0: which, VP debate is tonight. Yes. You're going to be watching it. I'll probably watch that one. Okay. That, that. How about this? You watch this one, and I won't watch this one. Okay. We'll yeah. switch it because I don't—I don't really want to. Maybe I'll watch it. I don't know.
1: No. This. This should be. Um, at least a bit more entertaining because that last one was just frustrating to watch.
0: They should be more civil. Exactly. Like,
1: and hopefully maybe they'll actually talk about something yeah. of
0: substance. I've never heard Mike Pence speak, so I actually don't know if he can talk.
1: He can do a politician talk. Okay. I've just he never had very, the yeah, I've never yeah. had the
0: experience of hearing him literally say words.
1: He can be very slow. He can be very measured and he can pull up all the talking points. Yeah. He's got that part nailed, which Kamala can do as well, uh, but she can also get more, more passionate and she's, uh, as far as I can tell, very intelligent. So hopefully she'll yeah. have something interesting this day.
0: I hope so. I mean, I don't, can it be worse than, I don't think so, but how many times in
1: 2020 have you thought this is as bad as it can get? So who knows?
0: We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very true. Very, very true. And with that, everybody, this is the Beyond Red and Blue podcast, episode seven, where we talked about jujitsu. jitsu again. We will talk about more jujitsu later. But for now, enjoy the rest of your morning, your afternoon, and your evening. Peace.
1: Take care, everybody.